So this morning, uh, as we kind of spend the bulk of our time this morning uh, around this story, I think many of us have probably heard or have been around on some level this story of Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And uh, where, again, many of us potentially bring a lot of different viewpoints, ideas, and thoughts to this story and this narrative. For us as CMYK, what we think is most important and significant is not necessarily just uh, asking the question or having a conversation necessarily about something that, that happened 2,000 years ago. That's a good conversation to have. But for us, there's something truly beautiful and powerful, I think, by looking at this story and this narrative of Christ and asking the question, is it something that impacts and affects our life today, here and now? Does it impact and affect the way that I choose to see other people, the way I choose to see my stuff and live my life? If that story matters, then in some ways it impacts here and now. And so for us, this story of death, burial, and resurrection is not just something that we talk about that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's looking at the potential for the death, burial, and resurrection of our own lives that we all experience on a potentially regular, rhythmic, uh, cyclical basis, if you will. That there are things in our life that we expected to go a certain way, and we experience this death, that it is not what we thought it was. There's a burial that we experience where we feel like we're stuck in the ground, and we're not going anywhere. This is just the way that it is. And then there is the potential for new life, resurrection, that we're not stuck, and this death that came was not the end of everything, but there's actually something new and fresh happening. And so this morning, to ask that question of our own lives rather than uh, me just talking about it. We thought the best thing to do is to hear from someone in our community that has actually gone through this process, is going through this process, and uh, they would share their own story, Easter story, if you will, of death, burial, and resurrection. So would you please welcome our friend who's a part of this community? Her name is Jen. Everybody say good morning. Jen, as she comes up. Good morning. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for doing this. Um, as you can probably all understand and realize, uh, this is not natural <laughs> to want to stand in front of a, a room full of people. And Although I'm a teacher, so I'm used to it. Yeah, okay. Uh, but this, this idea of being so vulnerable and so honest um, is not something that we all we necessarily look forward to. So just out of the gates, thank you for being willing to do that. So when we talk about this first concept of death, something happened, a series of things happened that caused you to actually have to label a section, a part of your life as that? What happened and what led you to that? Um, a lot of things happened. Um, and I, I did this in the first service, and I want to, I just feel like I really should say this in second service too. I want to give a disclaimer that I'm not up here because I've cornered the market on any kind of great truth or that I'm a good person. Um, frankly, I, I think I'm kind of a, a not good person. Um, then, you know, we're all the chief of sinners in our own mind. But so anyway, I just want to get that out of the out of the air. Like, I'm not sitting up here saying you should live like me because I've got it all figured out. Um, so instead, I'm here to tell you a story of uh, heartache and death and loss and despair. But then also... Happy Easter. <laughs> also, newfound hope, uh, love that I didn't think was possible, um, and not even romantic love that I didn't think was possible um, and, and being able to come up with a vision for where my life is going. So um, a really snippet uh, background that will come into play a little bit later. Um, I grew up in North Carolina uh, from a very leave it to beaver, just gee golly, aren't we happy and nice together. And um, my mom was my hero and they were married for like 38 years. And so I got married at 23 and expected everything to go very similarly. Um, a couple years later, we found out, in the same year, found out that, um, that I can't have kids and that my mom, at 52, is diagnosed as Alzheimer's. 
So uh, me and God had a huge falling out at that point. I know a lot of us here um, seem to have gone through this deconstructionist phase where you thought life was going this way, and then suddenly there's this giant whoosh over here, and nothing is the same, nothing is what you plan. And so for me, that led to uh, many, many years of anger and bitterness because I want to control everything, and everything should work out logically, and uh, there should be a point to everything, um, and it's just not that way. And so... Uh, so God and I had a big falling out and uh, lots of years of bitterness uh, that came out in, the, in not just with God, but with my relationships, too. Uh, so, again, I said I got married. So throughout this, married, was not getting Wife of the Year awards, was not necessarily the happiest person to be around. Um, and so moved forward a little bit longer. So my mom passed away in uh, 2017. And then that next school year, that was the summer of 2017, the next school year, um, my husband and I had both met this person that, that was just so wonderfully, like, effervescent, overflowing with enthusiasm and love and excitement for life. And I thought, man, what is this? I need some of that because I'm not that way. I tend to be a, a rather cynical kind of person. Um, so she became a good friend of ours, and um, they hung out a lot together because they worked together. Um, and so that that relationship took a pretty drastic turn January 2018, um, and it became pretty obvious that, uh, that he wanted, he, rather than, so, okay, in my mind, marriage is like, hold it up here. You got to make it work no matter what. You're Southern Baptist after all. Um, so it doesn't matter how crappy things are. You just got to buck up and get through it um, because that's what's expected of you. That's what the community wants. That's what your parents want, your family wants. Um, and so, yeah, things were not the best. Uh, there was some toxicity, but gee golly, you have to make it work. Um, so we come to January of 2018, and uh, through a couple of events, it became really obvious that uh, my husband did not want to stay in a relationship with me and wanted one with this different person, the person that I thought, man, she's great, look at her, what a great friend. Not a great friend. Uh, uh, so... There was a point where I said, do you want to pursue her? Because it, it wasn't really clear if this was just like, he's going through something and things will pan out, or, or no, this is really the, the direction that life is going. And I'm scrambling for anything to keep some semblance of normalcy because, God, no, I don't want this to be the direction of things happening. I've already lost this, and I've lost this, and you will not take this away from me now, too. The third this being the identity that I had of being a married Christian wife. Um, and this was a guy who, when we were in North Carolina, like he was a, he was a deacon at our church. Uh, he was working on a degree in science and religion. Um, everything that I knew about him did not lead up to the choices that he, he was now making with this other person. Um, so I asked him, like, do you want to pursue her? And he said, I don't know, which we all know is man code for yes, but I don't want to say I don't know what she's talking you. about. I have no clue. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> Um, and so that, that was, that was uh, two-ish weeks of fluctuation of where things going to land. And it landed pretty decisively when he moved out. Um, he moved in with his sister and started a new life in that direction. And I'm, I'm left in the house that we had together. The house is full of all of his beautiful furniture that he made, all of the art, um, the memories of all the, the people that would come over and have parties together there. Uh, still not quite sure what was happening. So this, this, is ha this is all going on, things that 
Everything's out of control. So in the meantime, I'm grasping for what are the things I can cling to that are still some semblance of normalcy. Like um, I'd always hidden behind, we'll go to church together. John can go talk to them. I'm just going to hang out over here, and you guys get to know them. But so now I'm doing this on my own. I've got to step out and to be the awkward person and come and um, find the friendships on my own. I did a lot of, strangely enough, um, it was... It was horrible, but it was also really healing in this wonderful paradox where I'm reaching out to all of these uh, relationships that I had been god-awful to in the past and um, really uh, genuinely working to restore those relationships. Um, so there was, some, there was some real beautiful, genuine love that was coming in, that was filling the giant vacuum, um, the vacuum that was becoming bigger and bigger. Can vacuums grow? I don't know. I'm, I should ask Mark about that. Mark? We'll talk about it later, yeah. but thank you. We don't have time. <laughs> Sorry, Mark will yes. have a spreadsheet. It's going <laughs> to get deep quick. Yeah. So you go through this. Uh, you go through this death, and what was fascinating to me, or I think significant for me, was on the on the outside watching you go through this death of a marriage, and then to sit down and continue to have conversation with you and realize this is so much more than just I was in relationship. I'm not in relationship anymore. This is a death of of a home that you grew up in, an identity to, to strive for and achieve for, that you will be this kind of woman. Like, you, you wanted that. You wanted to be a mother. Uh, and so to experience the death of not being a mother, losing your mother, and now losing this identity that you have of uh, being uh, a wife, like, there's so much that is crumbling around you. And um, it's, it's intense. And... and, and the strength and the ability for you to go through that is, is I think, really, really profound. And I think what's, what's important for this morning is when we think about this idea, it's easy to maybe put a story like Jen's up in front of us and say, like, oh, yeah, bummer. Sorry about that. Do you want another donut? Would that help? Um, and, to, and to think that that should be our response. But our hope this morning is in this story to understand that all of us, experience and go through the same kinds of deaths. We all have identities or hopes or beliefs or things that, that we're striving for or going after, and we experience these moments where we realize that is no longer going to happen. And I think the power and the significance of uh, this Christ narrative is to call it what it is. That's a death. It's not, ah, it's just kind of rocky. It's not, no, there, there's, and, and it's painful and it's hard and we don't want to do it, especially within the Christian era. If we want to just jump right away to resurrection and say, but it's going to be fine. No, to go through this process and to actually call it what it is, death, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this morning to help us in that, because again, more than just hearing Jen's story, the question is, are there things in your own life, things that you're processing going through that maybe the most important thing that you could do to celebrate Easter is to name it? And to call it what it is, that this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is never going to be what I thought. I am, I, I am not who I thought I was, whatever it is, to go through that process. And to help us in that, uh, we've asked uh, Mr. Kerry Sherman uh, to share with us a song that he's written. So, Mr. Sherman. Thanks, Kerry. <clears throat> so then we transition into this place of burial where you've had this severance of the relationship. You're divorced. You're, you're in this place now of uh, it's happened. You went through the bargaining and the processing. You tried to do all of that, but now it's happened. So where does that leave you and what does that look like for you? So it had happened, but um, I was still able to live in this, this fantasy world of, um, I mean, has it really happened? So um, the divorce was final in March, 
And then we sold the house, but the house didn't close until the end of May. So I was able to, to kind of keep a semblance of normalcy until the house is officially closed uh, in May. Um, so I lived there for the next couple of months. And uh, as the end date became closer of, um, okay, the former has to get all of his stuff out of the house. Uh, he's going to go find a storage place. He's got to go find an apartment. And um, now there's less things in our house. And then now I'm having to start to think, school year's ending. Uh, the house is going to be sold. What am I actually going to do once uh, June 1st comes around? That's the last day of school. And the house is supposed to close a week later. Uh, where does that leave me? Because I love planning, because I love control. And, um, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see anything. Um, and uh, it's the encroaching time of, you know you have two weeks left. Here's your last sunrise on your back porch. Um, once it becomes real, and, and you can't hide from it, and it's, it's in your face of, no, this is really over. This part of your life is really over. Um, so going back to my Southern Baptist upbringing, um, their teaching of heaven is that it's his perfect end place of where uh, the second that you're there, all is restored, all is made new, and everything that's broken is whole. Um, everything that's hurt is fixed. And, and it's just like this glorious promised land where there aren't consequences anymore. Um, and so in the face of, of knowing that this is, uh, and I'm okay with crying in front of people. I've been doing it for a year now. So it's <laughs> like, this is nothing new for me. Um, I think I, I was a solid nine months of coming and crying at every single service here before I could finally make it through and without. So anyway, um, the, the impending sell uh, of the house, that was kind of like a trigger point of, um, I, got, I got nothing. I got nothing to move towards. I can't see what is next week going to be. I'm a planner. I love to think five, 20 years out in advance. Um, and I couldn't see a month down the road. I couldn't see six, six months down the road. And the idea of having, having the summer off and then having to go back to teach, I have a very strong love-hate relationship with, with teaching music. Um, and it, it was just, it didn't make sense to me of if my view of heaven is, uh, it's a, it had been taught to me as though it was a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's an escape. It's um, however bad it's hurting now. Well, just make it not go hurt and just go be a perfect harmony. And your mom's there and your grandparents are there. And, and wouldn't that be great? Um, so, uh, so in May of last year, I remember coming home from the store. And um, even in spite of all, I had done a surprise, not I, God had done a surprising job of surrounding me with some of the most beautiful friendships that I didn't even know that I had because previously I had been um, just so stellar at being uh, very stoic of arm's distance relationship. Um, Y'all can get to know my husband, but that's all right. Let's just, you know, keep you over there. So I didn't know how many people really love me until I've got nothing else and I'm clinging to them. Um, but sometimes that's just really not enough. So, um, so in May... Um, I have, I have this really clear memory. There are a few memories from May through like the end of last year. Um, it gets really foggy at that point. But this really clear memory of coming home from a store and pulling into the garage and the garage door closes. And I'm just sitting there thinking and thinking because I did a lot of that those days. Um, of just like of just being in my car, just sitting and staring and thinking. Uh, and then the thought occurred to me. Um, and I was like, I just remember this very clearly. Oh, this is how it happens. This is how... This is how I'm going to die, of just let the car keep running uh, in my closed, sealed garage. 
Um, and I was fine with that. And I sat there and I sat there, uh, cried myself to sleep. Um, and it, it just completely expected to not wake up. Um, but I did wake up. And then, um, and then the next day was the Montana's women run. So I wake up and then, all right, I'm going to go do this little five-mile run. Like it's nothing. Like nothing happened. Um, but that was the start of, I'd say, a solid eight, no, six-ish months of um, this really sucks. This is too hard. I can't do it. Okay, here's my instant out. Um, and there were, I think September was another really hard time. Going into the school year, a really hard time. When you're faced with like these changes, you kind of get into a little bit of a groove again because you're just you really want that um, semblance of routine. Uh, and then they, you get a wrench thrown in it. I bought a house, not a good idea to do when you're in that state of mind. Um, <laughs> and the school year starting, and uh, I did not want to be around sixth graders. Um, so, so it became like just a regular thought pattern for me of uh, when things were just, because I was still, there was, there was no hope. The former, he's already dating someone else, and I'm like, how are you all happy? And like, you know, things are great over here for you, and then I'm, well, what was me? So it was, there was a lot of self-pity involved in that. Um, and, and an erroneous view still of heaven really made it very enticing. And so, um, so there were innumerable, innumerable uh, notes that I wrote um, that I had planned to give to people Emails that I'd sent my, my ex-husband of, uh, hey, do you still have that life insurance policy on both of us? You should keep paying for the premium for another couple of months. I think it'll come in handy. Like, I, I literally said that to him. Um, and uh, and it's, I, in looking back on it, like, Matt, was, Matt asked what characterizes that time, and it's just, it's just a fog. I don't remember. I remember um, being incredibly reckless and doing whatever it would take to the obvious things of like to numb the pain or to escape your thought life, but then also anything it would take to be in some sort of a comfortable setting. Like I kept coming to all of these services, um, not because uh, I don't, well, I, I don't know why. I would come because, um, because you would let me sit in the back and cry and you wouldn't bother me. And uh, there was a normalcy there and I could come and do communion every Sunday and um, People would hug me, and no one would say, where's John? Because you all knew, and it wasn't that you didn't care. Um, you could see that I didn't have the strength to talk about it, and you let me do that. Um, and that was a really good thing to walk through that period with uh, until I don't really know how to sum up this, this portion of well, the I think talk. Well, I think it's an interesting thing, because you said it, and you brought light to something that I never thought about, but it makes sense even in my own experiences of... When you're experiencing a death, it's vivid. Like, you you know, you remember where you were. You remember what was going on. You remember the weather, these kinds of things, these tragic moments that happen in our life. We, just, we, we cling on to them. But then when we enter into this, this period of burial, um, things get really blurry really quickly. And, and, and we know that we're kind of there. And what's fascinating to me uh, about this idea of, of burial is is when I, when I came to understand the definition of this word despair. The despair is the idea that you wake up every single day believing that the day that you just had is the day that you're going to have again. That is the definition of despair. That there's nothing going to be new or different or fresh, um, but whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing right now, that's going to be tomorrow, and that's going to be the day after that, and that's going to be the day after that. 
And when you're in this period of death, what I appreciate what you said is like you're a person of control. So, we, we, yeah, we're going through these vivid moments, but we're trying desperately to change, change the outcome. I mean, you talk about exercise and you talk about the relational moves that you were making and all of these kinds of things. And then you get into this place of burial or despair where it was just like, why bother? Because tomorrow's going to be just like today was. And I've done all these things and nothing is changing. So, so yep. yeah, why bother? Yep. And so you find yourself in this place. So as we come to this close of burial... The question is, what points of despair are you experiencing in your life? And I don't mean that to, you know, bring this great Easter gathering even lower down than it already is, talking about death. And so now let's go here, people. That's not it at all. Um, Grant's not going to play a death metal song. Don't worry. Um, But I think it's an important question that just like we have to name death, we have, and and that's easy sometimes because it's vivid. We have to name burial. We have to name despair. We have to name those things in our lives, in our hearts that we look at, that we're not content with, that we're not okay with, that every single day we just wake up and we assume, you know, this relationship that, I'm not, that things are not okay with, it's just going to be like that tomorrow. It's just going to be like that tomorrow. They're just going to treat me like this tomorrow. I'm just going to treat like this, this job, this life, this dream, whatever it is, the world around me that I'm experiencing, it's just going to be like that tomorrow. That's burial. Because we're stuck, and we feel trapped, and what we're experiencing is what we're always going to experience. And I think we need to name it. We need to call it what it is. Grant Jones. Thank you, Grant Jones. So as we close today, um, there is a story of resurrection here. And um, I, I, I want to preface it by saying this is not Jen communicating that everything great now. There's no problems anywhere ever. Uh, That is not uh, the story that we're asking you to tell. But there is new life being found. What does that look like? I don't really know where it came from or where it started. Is that my fault? It's court. Okay. Um, So uh, the third time I was painting my house, because that's what I do when I can't control things. Um, It's a lovely shade of dark blue now. You'd really like it. The third time I was painting my house, I was listening to uh, this book on um, uh, audiobook, and it had come out in like 2011 or so. But uh, in my Southern Baptist days, it was very heretical, so don't go listen to it. But I was finally like, eh, you know, what could it hurt at this point? Um, and I really wish I had read it seven years earlier. So um, you've probably heard of it. It's Love Wins by Rob Bell. And um, yeah, there's some controversial parts to it. I think a lot of what he says makes sense. But um, it was the first time that I had been given a different understanding. Once, okay, so I said in the beginning, your, your schema is what you filter everything through that sets these thought patterns in your brain, and you think this is the way things are going to be, this is how they should be. And so as you get new input, you either, it either fits with your schema and you accept it, or it doesn't fit, so you uh, twist it to make it fit and distort it, or you're just like, meh, no, I'm going to ignore it. It doesn't work. Um, so once you're at the point where you have given up every possible thought pattern, you've, your worldview is done, your schema is crumbled, uh, and then you're able to kind of start looking at new pieces and bringing in new pieces, um, it, it, well, it makes you available to seeing new things. So he had, um, in his second chapter, um, obviously it's about heaven and hell and, and love and hate and whatnot, so he talked about heaven in a way that I had never heard anyone describe, and it, um, it was just it was such a huge explosion in my brain of 
oh my God, that changes everything. Um, and I always feel like when I, when I relay it to other people, they don't really get it. But like for me, it was just, it was mountain moving. It was amazing. So I've got, um, I've got a lot of, a lot of notes here. We're going to read through every single page. Just kidding. We're not, but I am going to read to you a little bit of some of the stuff that I wrote down. And this is, um, this is an amalgam of stuff that Rob Bell wrote. I thought about like just reading you some pages out of there, but it doesn't, does, it's missing the summarizing that. Anyway, all to say, I'm going to read to you for a little bit. Uh, and this was the pieces that I cobbled together that changed um, changed my worldview to a point where where I'm not I'm not suicidal anymore. Um, it's not a regular out for me. Um, okay, so he talks a lot in um, the first couple of ch- chapters about uh, Old Testament prophets and how did Jesus go through describing heaven and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Old Testament prophets describe what heaven will be like and, and the ways that, in the ways that we're going to participate in it. Uh, God's been looking for partners who will take seriously their divine responsibility to care for the earth and each other in loving and sustainable ways. Responsibility there being like one of the key words. Um, God simply does not give up on creation and the people who inhabit it. Our goal should be to drag the future into the present so that to be part of making earth like heaven now, as it will be in the age to come. What I believe about the future shapes, informs, and determines how I live now, which was evident when when my thoughts about the future was that I had no future. That was definitely shaping what my actions were during that that, um, part two of my my talk, the burial phase. Uh, How we think about heaven directly affects how we understand what we do with our days and energies now in this age. Jesus teaches us that to live now in such a way that what we create, who we give our efforts to, and how we spend our time will all endure in the new world. And so we're starting to touch on it, the idea of, wait, what I create and develop here is going to endure into the new world. Um, Then he says, taking heaven seriously then means taking suffering seriously now. It's erroneous to think that heaven by... It's erroneous to think about heaven by who gets in and how. Instead, Jesus wants our hearts transformed so that we can actually handle heaven. I had never thought about anything like that, and it just blew my mind. Our heart, our character, our desires, our longings, they take time. There is no instant fix for the maladies of my heart. It's my job to seek to grow so that I'll be able to take part in more, take part in more in the next life. Eternal life doesn't start when I die. It starts now. It's not about life that begins at death. It's about experiencing the kind of life now that can endure and survive even death. There is no out. I'm here. This is it. So what I do with it, with the cards I'm dealt, because there is no ejection button, there's no escape. Escape isn't the goal. Love is the goal. Cultivating my heart, bringing healing, creating uh, heaven on earth to the degree that I'm able to. And that was just like, Dang, girl, like you're just trying to, you want the get out of jail free card. You want the responsibility taken away from you that, that, um, that I just, I'm an entity here and then I can be a non-entity and that's just not the case. And so thinking through that, kind of mulling through that, um, and seeing, seeing the, the, the different interactions that I have with different people, um, I talked about before how much I was really hating school. Um, and then after kind of working through that and thinking about, um, I have a hard time always justifying, oh, you're just a music teacher. Like, you don't really do anything important. 
Uh, but looking at those lives of um, like over 600 kids that I've worked with in just the four years that I've been in Montana um, and, and, and really having relationships with them, this semester has been the happiest semester of my teaching in 10 years of teaching. Um, and, and, it's, and, and nothing changed externally. It was entirely just my mind is, is going in a different direction now. And it's not that I sought this out. It's like if you break your arm, you can't, you can't just go eat a whole bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and your arm's going to heal faster. It's just a matter of time. You've got to sit through that. You can't escape the time. Yeah, life really sucks. And there's going to be time to just sit in that suck, and it's okay. Um, but there's something on the other side. There's always something on the other side. And I used to hate stupid, sappy, cliche stuff like that. But it's so true. And it's a cliche because so many of us experience it um, and have seen it come to fruition. Yeah. So, I mean, I love what you say, that it wasn't an a, a external change. It was internal. You chose to see things differently in yourself and in the world around you. So as, as we close this morning, I, you got the mic. You're sitting in front of the CMYK community. What would you ask of us, and what would you speak to us as we close? Oh, one thing I did want to mention, too, with the, <laughs> with the um, bright, happy sunshine. So going back to mental health stuff, creatives, um, we're very passionate people. We should take seriously. One of the things that's made this semester happy, too, is um, I've talked to my doctor a lot about the antidepressants that I'm on. And we've tried some different ones. And we found one that really works great. Um, and that's added a lot. And it's I, I want to not challenge. Um, it's OK to go talk to people about this. And it's good to keep working at it until you find a mixture that works for you. Um, because that seems like an incredibly taboo thing to say, especially like sitting up here um, in this seat of apparent importance. I'm not important, but I'm saying um, changing your perspective, changing your brain chemistry also goes into changing perspective. Um, so don't shy away from that. It's really important. Musicians, creatives, do it. Okay, so what I would say to you all, um, we're great at uh, being awkward. Um, keep leaning into that. When, whenever we have the communion or the fellowship time, I'm the first one to go find, oh, I need my coffee right now, or gee, I really got to go to the bathroom. And I just I try to dart out of the awkwardness as soon as I can. But it's the awkwardness. It's coming and showing up. When you're not married anymore, you got to go to things alone. You got to just kind of like man up and do it. Like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go volunteer at Art House alone because I want to, and that's okay. Um, so, so be okay with the awkwardness. Uh, be okay with other people's awkwardness. There's a lot of awkward things about me. Um, and uh, keep letting us be vulnerable with you because it's, it's, that's, that's such a beautiful thing about this group is, is, that, is that I can sit here and tell you all this ugliness and none of your faces are like, oh, she's a bad person. You're, like, your faces look like, wow. And that's, that's a neat feeling. So keep doing that. Um, there's a lot of good things here. And, and uh, Keep coming and being present and being beautiful with each other. Can we just thank Jen for coming and sharing this morning? Thank you. And she was worried she didn't know what, what she was going to say, and everything was so awesome and great. Thank you so much. That was awesome. As we close this morning, um, there's a moment that I think uh, I would love to just reflect upon. 
And it's this moment that's found in the Easter story, particularly in the book of John, that Mary goes, she hears that Jesus has risen from the dead. So she goes to the tomb to try and find Jesus' body and just confirm it for herself that Jesus isn't there. And the first thought is not that he's actually resurrected. It's just that someone had stolen the body because that was something that actually happened. There were tomb robbers uh, in this day. And, G- and Mary has this interaction with a couple people don't really know who they were, angels, or we don't know. But John says there's this interaction that Jesus has with these couple guys at the tomb. And then this takes place. It says she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener. This is what's fascinating to me. Here's this story, this interaction where she's looking for Christ. And Christ is right in front of her. And she doesn't recognize him. In fact, the, the name or the, the idea that she brings to Jesus is that he's a gardener. It doesn't get much lower in this culture and society than for someone to be a gardener. So all of a sudden, this stranger, this person that she's not recognizing who they really are, she's just assuming they're the lowest of the low. They're on the outside, the bottom. That's who this person is. Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. So now not only is he a gardener, he's a grave robber. So way to go, Mary. You're doing great. Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. There are moments all around our life, I believe. Why do we do this Easter gathering? Why do we, why do we structure things the way that we do? Because I believe that there are moments all around our life like this, where there's something divine right in front of us. And whether we're caught in death, we're caught in burial, we're waiting for resurrection, whatever it is, There are these divine interactions with the people around us, with situations, whatever it is. And our tendency, my tendency, is to see what's happening, but to never truly see what's happening. To just belittle, to degrade, to say it doesn't matter, why bother? Whether it's me and my interactions with my family, to kind of put those on the, well, I've got a lot of other really important things to do today, and to not see the divinity that's found in my kids, in my wife, in my interactions with my friends, the people that I work with, there's something sacred here to our humanity, to your breath, to the beating heart in your chest. And I believe that resurrection is an invitation to see that new life. That maybe, like Jen was talking about, external things are not changing the way that we want them to. But there's a choice to see. This is not a gardener. There is something divine and beautiful and significant here. And so this morning, I just close with two questions. The first question is this. What do you need to open your eyes to? What are the people, relationships, as you celebrate resurrection, what is the life right in front of you? The loss that I've experienced in, in my life uh, over this last period of time, I had a friend of mine over coffee just say, yeah, but you got Margot." And Margot is my 10-month-old daughter that is the perfect human being. We've been trying for millions of years to perfect humanity. We've done it. So you can see her. She's in the basement. She's awesome. And I needed, I needed that moment to see that there's, there's this thing right in front of me that is so beautiful. And, and I, I can get lost in all these other things. And there's something beautiful here. So what do you need to open your eyes to that's already right in front of you, in you, around you? Or secondly... What name do you need to speak to someone? Jesus has to kind of shake Mary out of this and say, Mary, and speak a name to her that she would recognize and know, oh, there's something divine here. I believe that the work of this community is to look each other in the eye and to speak our names to one another, that there is something great and beautiful and true about who you are. 
This is what makes Easter Easter for us. And so this morning we go, and may you be somebody that finds resurrection wherever you are. May you be somebody that, yes, can name the death and, yes, name the burial, but do not find yourself stuck there. May you be somebody that finds yourself in the midst of community and relationships that can speak the name of who you are, the beauty, significance, and grace of who you are. And may you be somebody that sees the beauty and divinity that's already around you. This is Easter. Thank you so much for coming this morning, everybody. I hope you have a great rest of your day. As always, popcorn, coffee, water, and donuts. Feel free to hang out for a little bit. We strategically overlap these things. So as the 11 o'clock people are coming, you can hang out for a little bit and say hi to them as well as we love to see one another. So as always, if there's anything we can do for you, please, please, please let us know. And there's giving boxes in the back. If you'd like to be a part of this community on a financial level, we would appreciate it. So thanks, guys. Happy Easter.